This podcast is a part of CGN Media, a podcast network that points to Christ. We are supported by listeners like you. To help us create more great shows, visit cgnmedia.org support. Hey, we wanted to share some recent content with you from our two When She Leads conference, where our theme was Breaking New Ground, taken from Hosea 10.12. Here is one of our breakout sessions. God gave me this, um, if I had to title this message, I would say, Lord, have your way in me. And I was reading Psalm 19 the other day, and I'll just read it for you, verse 7 through 14. It says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. His decrees, the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are the warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all of the sins lurking in my own heart? Cleanse me. From these hidden faults, keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let, me, don't let them control me. Um, then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. And this last verse is my prayer for us tonight. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, thank you as we come to your word now, as we just um, ask you to use it to penetrate our hearts, Lord. You have a deep soul work that you want to do in each of our hearts tonight. Because before we can lead anybody, Lord, we have to come to you. We have to have you pour your spirit upon us. We need you to correct us, you to do what it, you do supernaturally in our hearts. And for those hard places, Lord, I just pray right now that you soften our hearts. Lord, we all have them, but Lord, you want to reach in, and you want to heal those places, and we pray it in Jesus' holy name, amen. Now, the sound of an alarm is really startling, isn't it? I thought about having them shoot the fire alarm, but I thought, you know what, they're just going to run all crazy, and then they're not going to know what to do, and it's going to be insane, but the, the alarm sound startles us, right? Even if it's someone's phone that goes off, right, we jump. If you're in a room with people, you jump. Have you ever been in a hotel and the fire alarm goes off at night? What's your first thought? Do we really need to run down? Right? We're looking out the window. Do I smell smoke? Do I see smoke? Like, everybody's calling the person, like, at the desk, like, is this for real? We were, I was traveling with Scotty, our youngest son. He was a child actor. And so we would travel all around. And I'm not kidding you. There was a season where every single hotel we were in the fire alarm would go off. So finally, about the sixth hotel, I'm like, son, are you sneaking out in the middle of the night and like pulling them? Luckily, his mom was a fairly light sleeper, so he didn't get away with that. But alarms interrupt our normal course of life, don't they? They remind us of important events. They wake us while we're sleeping, and they warn us of danger. And as we're going to look tonight, that's what Hosea is doing. Um, he is warning the people of danger. How many of you that hit the snooze types? Yeah, you're my peeps. 
My husband's like, don't set your alarm because you're going to hit the snooze 10 times and then I'm going to be awake. You know, how many of you are you like, you sleep right through it? Really? Wow. I, I thought that, like, I was thinking, like, okay, does that end when you become an adult? No, it does not. It doesn't, it doesn't end at all. But here tonight, we're going to read about this prophet, Hosea, who's sounding an alarm. He is trying to wake people up. He is warning them of danger and impending judgment. Alarms demand a response from us, don't they? We either have to turn it off or we have to do it. But when God warns us, when he's giving us an alarm, he gives us choices to make. When God warns us of something, we can either sleep through it, we can snap to it, or we can keep hitting the snooze. There are things that he gives us these choices. Hosea, he was prophesying to, um, to the um, northern kingdom of Israel. The book is just this beautiful picture. We all know it because of the story of, of Hosea and Gomer, but it's this beautiful picture of God's love for his people. God called him to marry a prostitute. What was her name? Gomer. And yet, they had kids together and then she ditched them. She left them. And then God calls Hosea. We always have such a heart for Hosea, don't we? Because God called him to love her and to forgive her and to go buy her back out of slavery. What a beautiful picture for us of Christ and his bride. Christ and his people that he loves. This beautiful story of redemption of how he redeems us. God offers restoration, he offers mercy, grace, forgiveness, he's so long-suffering with us. And to those that put their trust in him, he provides this for us, he provides everything that we need. And even when people reject him, what does God do? He's persistent, he continues, and he's long-suffering, and he just continues his pursuit. So I want to give you some background before we jump into our study, but Jose, if you want to turn there, I'll also put it on the screen. If you don't have the, um, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. Hosea chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. He says, hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. You make vows and break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. There is violence everywhere, one murder after another. That is why your land is mourning and everyone is wasting away because they're doing what they want. Even the wild animals and the birds of the sea and the sky and the fish of the sea are disappearing. Don't point your finger at someone else and try to pass blame. My complaint, you priests, is that you are, he's talking about their ineffective leadership. My complaint, you priests, is with you. So you will stumble in broad daylight and your false prophets will fall with you in the night. I will destroy Israel, your mother, and listen. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. And he gives us the why. Since you priest leaders refuse to know me. You refuse to recognize, um, I, you, you, I refuse to recognize you as priests. Since you have forgotten the law of God, I will forget to bless your children. Now in verse six, that word know, it's more than a knowledge of God. This is to know by relationship. And if you know anybody, I guarantee you, you have a relationship with them. We don't know people that we don't have a relationship. And this is his, this is his like cause against them. This is what he thinks th that they're doing wrong. The people didn't know God and it's ruining them, but the responsibility falls on leaders. 
because they didn't know him either. Now we're gonna turn to Hosea chapter 10 and do a little more digging and background before we land on our verse for tonight. Let's start in verse one if you wanna flip to Hosea chapter 10. How prosperous Israel is, a luxuriant vine loaded with fruit, but the richer the people get, the more pagan altars they built. The more bountiful their harvest, the more beautiful their sacred pillars. The hearts of the people are fickle. That word means change frequently, especially regarding loyalty. They're fickle. They are guilty of, and must be punished. The Lord will break down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. Then they will say, we have no king because we didn't fear the Lord. But if we did have a king, what would he do for us anyways? The spout, the, they spout empty words and make covenants that they do not intend to keep. So injustice springs up among them like the poisonous weeds of a farmer's field. The people of Samaria tremble in fear for what might happen to their calf idol. They're more concerned about the thing, the gods they created, and Beth-Avon. Bethel means the house of God. Beth-Avon is the house of wickedness. The people mourn and the priests wail because its glory will be stripped away. This idol will be carted away to Assyria. A gift of the king to the king there. Ephraim will be ridiculed and Israel will be shamed because its people have trusted in this idol. Samaria and its king will be cut off. They will float away like driftwood in the ocean wave. And the pagan shrines of Avon, the place of Israel's sin, will crumble. Thorns and thistles will grow around their altars. They will beg to the mountains, bury us, and they will plead to the hills, fall on us. And the Lord says, O Israel, since Gibeah, there um, has been only sin and more sin. You have no progress whatsoever. It is not right that the wicked men of Gibeah were attacked. Now, whenever it fits my plan, I will attack you. I will call out the armies and the nation to punish you and for your multiplied sins. Israel is like a trained heifer, treading the grain, an easy job she loves, but I will put a heavy yoke on her tender neck and I will force Judah to pull the plow of Israel and break up the hard ground. Those are harsh words, right? That's a warning. That's, a, that's an alarm sounding. Now, warnings are to benefit us. Warnings are to benefit us. The most loving, faith-producing, God-honoring thing in your life might be a wake-up call. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God gives us those wake-up calls? But now, we're gonna see this beautiful verse unveil. Verse 12, Hosea is giving them an opportunity to snap to it. And every single time that the Lord gives us a warning, he gives us a way out. He gives us a way to obey him. He gives us a way that we can take that says, go this way. I'm going to tell you what to do. It's a remedy. He's giving them a remedy in this verse to um, a remedy for his, their divided hearts. God always provides this way because he's faithful. He's faithful to us. And he's faithful to give us that wake-up call. And he is faithful even when we're faithless. Have you discovered that? that he's faithful even when we're faithless. So let's read our verse, Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourself righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow gown, for it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. 
God, uh, here Hosea is giving them an opportunity. He gives us the same opportunity. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 7, he says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in this, world eyes, in this world's eyes and powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish, that's us, in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless, us again, to shame those that are powerful. What's he saying here? It's Christ in us that makes us powerful. God can take our shame, our worthlessness, and he can turn it into something of worth, something of value for the use in his kingdom. Now that word shame, if you're a word studier, that word in the, new, in the King James Version is confound. Now, confound means disgrace, to blush with shame. Now, our English definition describes this word confound as to cause surprise. And in Brenda vernacular, then I get to look out and we get to say, surprise, look what God's doing through us. <laughs> we're, we're just vessels that he uses and he fills us and he gives us all these things and then he uses us and it has nothing to do with us. It has absolutely nothing to do with us. It's the power of God within us that he's looking for, but he's looking for a singleness of heart. That's what he's looking for in us, and that's why Paul can say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses because then the power of Christ may rest on me. You know those times when you're looking at something and you're like, that is the Lord. That is the Lord. He does things and we're just like, that's the Lord. That's what we want for our lives. But instead, Israel was using all that God had given them. He had blessed them so much. He had given them everything to use for his glory. But they were busy taking God's provision, his resources, and then they were building idols, and they were worshiping other things. And so this, thinking about this, it caused me in the last couple weeks to pause and to just think, what do I do? with the resources God gives me? What do I do with the gifting that he gives me? What do I do with all the provisions that he gives me? Because he gives us everything to serve him, to serve his people, and yet what am I doing with those things? Do I have, and I took a walk with this the last couple weeks, do I have a singleness of heart? Lord, search me. Show me if I have a singleness of heart. So let's break down this verse, it says, sow to yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, So, you guys know what that is, to make something fruitful, to make it productive. It literally means to become pregnant with, which I was thinking through that, and it's just another way of saying that there's a seed that needs to mature. And that seed is me planting and sowing righteousness into my life. And so that word righteousness here and it, it, he uses the word righteousness twice, and they're two different words. The first one, righteousness, is used to describe God's attributes. So it's truthfulness, literally doing what is right. So I'm supposed to sow into my life that I would do what's right. That's what he wants us to sow. Proverbs 11:18 um, said, The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. So God gives us a promise. If I sow right living into my life, he's going to reward that. Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline is enjoyable 
while it's happening, I mean, ask your kids, right? It's not that, it's enjoyable sometimes for us to get them on the right path, but it's not enjoyable. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful har harvest of right living. His discipline has purpose in our life. It's gonna cause us to rightly live for those who are trained in this way. They were spending God's resources, provisions on their own pleasure. Now God, every single person in this room, God has given us gifts to use to serve other people. Those are the provisions, those are the resources that we're giving. When James was speaking to a pride-filled heart, he said this, James 4, 3 and 4, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. He says, adulterers, adulteresses, that's familiar language when we're just looking at Hosea, isn't it? Do, not know, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Peter says this when he's talking to faith, about faith-planted faithfulness. In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, he says, but also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and they abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. And the knowledge, this again goes back to knowing him, in knowing him, in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is if we give diligence to adding these things to us, we're not going to be barren and we're not going to be unfruitful. And you say, well, that sounds like the same thing. They're not the same thing. Barren means no fruit. You have no fruit to show for what God's doing. He's giving you these provisions, these resources, and you're just spending them on your own pleasure. Unfruitful is a little different. There's fruit, but it's useless. Why? Well, we can, you know this, we can do all the right things with all the wrong motives. Can't we? We can look good on the outside. It reminds me of pastor's conferences. People are like using hand gestures on the freeway, right? For people who cut in on them, they're yelling. You get into a pastor's conference in the parking, they're like, oh no, you go ahead. No, you take my parking space. You know, we can put it on, can't we? We can put it on when we need to, but it's unfruitful because it's not genuine. It's not what God has for us. Spurgeon said this, a half heart is no heart at all. And when men seem to go after God and at the same time go after their idols, they are not going after God. Their religion is in vain. Don't you just love Spurgeon the way he says things? The good side is but a pretense. The evil side is the real thing. Say it like it is, Spurgeon. He always just cuts right to the heart, doesn't he? It's like, ooh, just say it like it is. So when we were, so in 1992, my husband and I and some other folks planted a church. And about 15 years into that church plant, my husband came home one day and he said, he was the executive pastor there for 15 years, he said, God's asked me to lay down my power, my position, and my paycheck and go on a venture with him. And I said, do you know where we're going? And he said, no, I don't know. And I said, like a really good pastor's wife, I was like, you better figure it out. Because <laughs> like my train's hitched to yours. And so if you don't know where you're going, 
then where am I going? And he said, now he'll say, I looked you right in the eye. I just lied. I said, yeah, I know where I'm going. He didn't, we didn't know where we were going, but so we decided our kids were getting older. Our youngest was a junior in high school. And we decided, Ted said, you know what? We're not going to get a vacation for a long time because we're going to be poor. <laughs> like, we're planting a church. And we came from a large church. There was 100 employees. There was just, it was a crazy six weekend services. It was nuts. And we went from that to the phone not ringing. My kids would tease him. They'd go, Dad, don't you know who you used to be? <laughs> just for your kids. They keep you humble, don't they? So he says, let's go on an RV trip. Let's take the, the motor home out. We'll take the kids. We're going to do nine states. We're going to be gone for three weeks. He had one really bad night in the RV Grizzly Park. <laughs> he said he was just asking God, just kill me. Just, I, I don't know what I did. Just kill me. It's, it's not worth it. Like, what did I do to my family? What? Uh, if any of you planted a church, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You just want to die. And so <laughs> we're going and we go to Yellowstone. Now, if you're my friend, you would not call me the outdoorsy type. Like, I only run if there's fire or somebody's chasing me. And so we get to Yellowstone, and my kids want to go horseback riding. Well, I'm like, I don't do horses. But you know you're a mom. So you're like, we're going to make memories for the kids. So I'm completely stressing out. They're loving life. They're in Yellowstone. They're going to go horseback riding. I'm like, oh, dear God, what, what am I going to do? I hate horses. Okay, I'm going to make some memories. We're going to make memories for the kids. So we get in there. We're checking in to get our horse. And the guy says, okay, he's talking to the group. And he says, okay, when you go on this trail, you have to keep your horse right behind the other horse because there are wild animals. I'm like, oh, my God. Memories are highly overrated. <laughs> These stinking kids want a memory, and they're not even going to remember. And like, I don't even know. Like, if you have kids under seven, forget the memories. They're not, they don't need a birthday party. They're never going to remember it. Like, so I get on the, he's saying, now, don't do this, because wild animals can cut in, and then they'll break the pack. What? Break what pack? Like, <sighs> So I go to the ranger guy and I say, listen, I'm going to need the grandma horse, like the one that's solid. She goes out, she follows right behind the guy, and then when I'm done, she knows her way home. <laughs> like, maybe her name's Bessie. Like, do you have her? And so we get on the horses and I'm just sure I've got Bessie because she's just doing a good job. She's just following. So we're going, it's, it's, it's third of the way done. Okay, it's half of the way done. So then we go up on this hill, and it's narrow. And on my right, there's about a 200-foot cliff. Okay, it might have been 25. But <laughs> it felt, <laughs> it felt like 200. And so we're going, and four horses above me, he starts going backwards towards the cliff. Yeah. He's pulling on those reins so tight. Anybody who have a horse, what's he telling it to do? Go in reverse, back up. They're yelling at him, take, let go of the reins. I'm like, Mr. Ranger, like, he is out of line. You need to get him. And then I'm thinking, I don't want to be on Bessie anymore because she's going to follow him and then we're going to go off the cliff. 
She's not going to get me home. All these things are going through my head. He's got the reins. He's got the reins. He's pulling, pulling, pulling. He's going backwards. Finally, they're just like, let go of the stinking reins. Let go. And finally, he does. And I'm alive to tell the story. I did not die. And the kids got their memory. Like, whatever. And, but here's the deal. You know what was ironic? All he had to do was let go. That's what God wants you to do with the things of this world. He wants you to let go. And I would ask tonight, who has the reins in your life? Is it you or is it God? Is he allowed to steer you? Do you have your hands off just saying, Lord, you direct, you guide, you do what you want to do. I remember one of the first times I taught, and I, I quit college when I was 19 because I was going to have to take a public speaking course. I didn't want to do it. When God called me, it was in a form of a rebuke <laughs> that I needed to be teaching. I was like, you got the wrong girl. You're crazy. I am not doing this. The first time I taught, there's a girl in the front row, raised her hand. I go, well, I didn't know this was like question and answer. <laughs> like, no one told me that was going to happen. And I'm like looking at her like, oh, God, please don't talk. And she looked at me. She goes, are you okay? <laughs> well, not now. She goes, you're all red and blotchy. And I thought, I told you. Like, I told you I couldn't do this. Now I'm humiliated. I'm never doing this again. But there was a point where I took my hands off. I said, Lord, have your way. You do what you have called me to do, whether I'm scared, whether I'm terrified, whether I don't think I have what it takes, whether I don't think that I'm good enough, whether I don't think that I'm worthy enough, you do the work and I will show up and I will say yes. That's what he does for us. There's gonna be things he calls you to that you're like, you got the wrong person. There's no, I'm not taking that risk. I don't wanna put myself out there. But when he tells you to do something, we need to obey and say, that's it. And we always get in a pickle when we have our hands on the reins. Proverbs 16:9 said, A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his step. His steps. Whatever God's calling you to do, it demands a singleness of heart. Amen. When someone is having a heart attack physically, there's warning signs. You have the warning of chest pain. You have the warning of pain and palpitations, maybe a pounding heart. Maybe you have jaw pain or shoulder pain. But what are the signs? What are the warnings of a divided heart? What are this? How would you answer these questions? Are you indifferent to your own sin? Do you give in to pride and arrogance? Or I would add self-pity. Are we easily offended? Do you lack the ability to forgive others? Do you fail to heed God's voice and his commands? Do you resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit or a rebuke from another believer? Do you put your own desires and plans over God's? That's something we have to take a walk with. And as I was looking through that list today, it's like, oh, you've got some hardness in your heart, Brenda. A hard heart medically is often caused by an injury. They say actually physically, that your heart gets hard when it's been injured. And so I was thinking about that in ministry. Like we go through some painful things. Our hearts get injured. Sometimes they're filleted. And you guys know, those of you who are ministry uh, directors or pastors, wives, you know, 
People think they can just say anything to you because they don't see the person, they only see the position. But all of you that are in ministry, even life, like there are things that are painful, but in ministry, think about it. We get wounded. It hurts deep. It really, I mean, how many of you, like, there are times I wanted to quit. I'm telling you, there was, there was one time I told my husband, and I used to tell him like every Monday, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there was one time I meant it. I'm like, I'm done, I'm, I'm done, we're done, I can't do this, this is too hard. And that is where we get injured. Ministry betrayal, our own sin, the moral failures of leaders. I know hundreds of people who don't go to church today because of the moral failure of their pastor. Disappointments. Friendly fire, these things hurt us so deep, don't they? But how do we manage those? I want to read to you just some what I call killers of singleness of heart. Ungratefulness, sin, disappointments, hurt feelings, unforgiveness, self-centeredness, pride, arrogance, unbelief. You can add your own. But each time we deal with those, a little piece of hard, a little another piece of hard, little another piece of heart. Pretty soon we're walking around with like a really solid, hard heart because we don't manage those things and we need to manage them. Psalm 51, 10 through 12 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and I loved, I think it was the New Living Translation, renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. A hard heart causes us to lose our joy. Anybody ever lose your joy in ministry? You're just like, here I am, serving the Lord. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna come in and set out the chairs and I'm gonna say thank you. Like, you know, you get in, those, you get in that place. And when we come in that place, what can God do through us? We need to come in prepared with that singleness of heart. Spurgeon again said, mercy's door opens to the knock of a wholehearted knocker. The choice mercies are too precious to be thrown away upon one who asks with a divided heart. We need that singleness of heart. So if we sow in righteousness, he says we reap in mercy. This word mercy is actually interesting because we hear mercy and we think, okay, grace is this, mercy is this. Mercy is this word said. And that means God's goodness, kindness, faithfulness. Sounds familiar, right? Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Now, Ted and I were watching this documentary, and it was, the, um, it was called Burma, uh, Burma Free Rangers. I don't know if any of you have seen it. But this guy was an army ranger for years and years, and God called him to Burma so that he could um, train the people how to protect themselves. That was his calling. I'm telling you, you watch this documentary, you're like, I'm not even saved. I, I don't even know. This guy, he was about to get married. He asked his wife, he said, he said, you're my girlfriend, so if you go with me, we're going to Burma in the jungles. She's breastfeeding her kids, walking in the bush. She's, her kids are little blonde kids. They're going through the river on horseback. Ted and I got done, I'm like, we serve in Temecula. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, who's the weakest one around? I'll put them in Temecula. You know, <laughs> that'll be easy enough for them. Like, he sends the real Christians to Burma. <laughs> but, 
like, we just, I'm like, we have a cushy, we have it good. Like, we like our people. Like, this is so good. Well, this guy goes, and as he is in Burma, the Lord calls him to Iraq. And when he gets to Iraq, he is in his Humvee bulletproof um, car. And there's a huge wall, kind of like this wall. And there's about 30 adults sitting with their backs up against it. And they're right at the enemy line. And they're all deceased because they've been picked off one by one with, a, um, with snipers. And right at the end, there's a little three-year-old girl. And she's sitting on her mom's deceased body. And the Lord told him, I want you to go rescue her. And he's like, I'm going to die. Like, there's no way I can get out there. But this guy, I mean, he's obviously surrendered. He doesn't have his hands on the reins. And he said, okay, Lord, you tell me when I'm going to go get her. And he said, they waited and waited. And he said, I just heard the voice of the Lord. Now. He said, I said, cover me. He ran. He got that little girl. He rescued her. And he brought her back. Now, he was really angry with the people that did this. And he said, I wanted to go back and I wanted to kill every single sniper because I, it was such an injustice, I needed to make it right. I needed them to pay for what they did. And this is what he said in the documentary. He said, so that night I said, Lord Jesus, show me the truth about what happened today. I opened my Kindle and he said, I never do this, but I put my finger down on the Bible and it said, vengeance is mine. Saith the Lord, I will repay Vengeance, he said. Oh, what I thought was justice was vengeance. Vengeance looks a lot like justice, but it's driven in by hate. And I was hating these people. It starts in the same place, he said, and injustice has been done. What are you going to do about it? Now, to get justice requires you to approach that unjust act with love for the perpetrator and the person who is hurt and mercy. There's a place for punishment too and enforcement, but it will be done in the spirit of love, which is very different. What's the best for both of these people? And he said, I asked Jesus to forgive me. I reject vengeance, and I, he took it away from me. It was a huge crushing weight on me. He goes, but I didn't feel it until he lifted it. Vengeance is based on hate. That's what he was after. Now, I was at a marriage retreat Early on in mine and Ted's marriage, um, he did something dumb, like husbands do. And I was holding a grudge against him. He had sinned against me. And I, was, I, I wanted vengeance. I didn't want, I forget justice. I wanted him to pay. You guys know you're married, like most of you. I wanted him to pay. I wanted to punish him. So this went on for a few years. I was not nice to my husband. And we were sitting in a marriage retreat, and the pastor said, there's somebody in here, and you're holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. Your husband's repented. He didn't say, he just said, your spouse. Your spouse has repented. They've asked for forgiveness, and guess what? It's not his sin anymore. It's yours. I was just like, oh, heck no, it is not. <laughs> like, he is the one who did it to me. And I was stuck there for a very long, long time. But God, in his mercy, said to me, dug deep into a hard place in my heart, said, it's your sin. You're carrying this now. He sent me to 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 7. 
But if anyone has caused you grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Do not be too severe. This punishment which was afflicted by the majority is sufficient for the man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps, listen to this, such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. Have you ever been in a place where you've just been swallowed up by sorrow over your own sin? Just swallowed up to the point where you're like, you know what? I might not make it through this. My knees might buckle here. I might have to be so overwhelmed, I might want to quit. I might want to give up. But then someone came along and offered you grace. Such a beautiful thing. You're like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this, but it was time. It was time that I showed him grace. And you know what, ladies? There's people in here you haven't forgiven and you have hard places in your heart. God doesn't want to use us like that. He wants us to soften our hearts. We need to be able to forgive. We need to be able to extend that grace. And then he's going to soften that heart and we're going to receive the rewards of that faithfulness. But then he says... Break up fallow ground. Fallow ground is dormant and cultivated. Now, this is a side note, but I was, as I was praying through this message, I just thought, there might be someone in here, and, and maybe many, and God has given you some direction in your life, a task or a ministry to do. You know it. You heard from him. You went into the field maybe with every intention of bearing fruit, but something cut in. Something stopped you. What was it? Maybe you thought it's too hard. Maybe you thought, I don't have what it takes. Maybe you got offended or discouraged or distracted. How many times do we just leave stuff when we're offended or distracted or discouraged? Maybe you were overwhelmed. Maybe you just gave up too soon. God wants us to keep our hands on the plow, our eyes on what he's doing. God wants you to know that he's with you. He is with you and he will guide you. And he works in that, full, that ground, that breaking up. There's work even in fallow ground. Nutrients are being restored. Pests are being demolished. There's work that happens. Interestingly, the root here for break up fallow ground, if you look into the root word, it has the idea of making a field shine. Light, lamp, to glisten. That's Jesus talk right there. We are to take these dormant fields, these dormant, hard, inactive areas in our life, and we're to make them shine for Jesus, whether that's in your neighborhood or anywhere else. And then he says it's for time for you to seek the Lord. We seek in order to find. Jeremiah 9, um, 11 through 13, he says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for you to prosper. And we hear this a hundred times, so... Listen, plans for you to prosper. He gives you every resource, every provision you need, and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon him. You will call upon me, he says. You will come and pray to me, and I will listen. You will seek me, and you will find me if you search me with your whole heart. And that's our whole softened heart that we want to seek him with. And then he says, until he comes and reigns, righteousness upon you. What does that mean? It means until you see a harvest in your heart. Don't give up. There are people that I've had to go to and say, hey, I was offended by this that you did. 
And if I didn't feel like it was reconciled, I might have to go back and go, okay, can we talk through this again? We need to come to some kind of restoration here. Now this righteousness is a different word. Instead of doing the right thing, this righteousness is justice, to declare righteous, to cleanse or to clear oneself or to make your way straight. In other words, when we plant seeds of doing what's right, we have a harvest of goodness, of kindness, of faithfulness. We plow the hard places, and that's painful to do. We plow the hard places in our hearts, digging deep by seeking the Lord until what? Until we reap a harvest of Christ's righteousness within us, and that he would rain down, whether that's a revival or whether that's he's coming to get me. We never give up on that. Red, uh, Ray Stedman said this, We are to serve Jesus with the singleness of heart, having the dedication of a soldier, the discipline of an athlete, and the diligence of a farmer. Now, when you look at a tiny little seed, in that tiny little seed, it has everything that you need, every resource. It has everything inside of it to produce a crop. It has everything necessary to produce what it's designed to be. It has a stem, roots. It even has food storage, all the provision. But get this, a seed lays dormant, until it finds a favorable environment to be planted in. When God wants to plant seeds in our hearts, he wants a favorable environment to plant that in. We want a singleness of heart. And my prayer for us this week, tonight, do that soul searching. Take the time to say, Lord, search me. What is it? Where's that hard place? It might be a lot of soft and one hard place, but where's that hard place? There's a new song out by Bethel, Don't Judge Me. It's a good song, has good lyrics. It's out by Bethel, I just wanna read it to you. It says, in the landscape of my life, I'm just like bowling for dollars down here with these waters, do you see this? Um, in the landscape of my life, you don't rush through any season, you always take your time. A careful hand, a gentle guide, You take what's dead away, you prune what's running wild. So be the gardener of my heart, tend the soil of my soul, break up the fallow ground, cut back the overgrown. I won't shy away, I will let the branches fall. So what you want can stay, and what you want, what you love can grow. Through the winter, I'm still alive. What you planted in the dirt is ever reaching to the light. You prepare me for darkened times. You'll sustain me what you have started and you will teach me to abide. Have your way in me, let it grow. And then the chorus goes, I'll remain in you and you'll remain in me. I was singing this the other day and said, I'll remain in me, you remain in you. I'm like, no, that's not right. (laughs) I can't remain in myself and here, you stay there, I'll stay here, didn't work. I'll remain in you, you'll remain in me, and I will trust your timing for the, from the start until the end because you know better. He knows better. Let's do that deep work. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Have your way in me. Well, thanks for joining us today. We hope you find this content helpful. Hey, stay connected with us on Instagram and Facebook for all that is going on with When She Lead. We'll see you next time.